As we left off last week, we see this halfway point of the tribulation. There is a very angry dragon. The devil wanted heaven. He and his demons were cast out. Landing on earth, he wanted to vent his rage against God's chosen people, and he was prevented. Now the dragon is truly angry, and he aims his wrath at the followers of Christ. Uh, So what can they do? Revelation 12, verse 7 says the dragon went to make war against those who obey God's... Sorry, 17. The, the dragon went to wage war against those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And it's the testimony that makes these believers a target. But in verse 11, we read, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so the testimony is what makes them a target and the testimony is what delivers them to victory. So today we're going to look at these verses and the power that a word of testimony has. Okay, so first, verse 17. Chapter 12, verse 17, facing the dragon's wrath. 12.17 says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the end of the sea. So who are the offspring of the woman? They're, They're described as those who do what? Keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And and we may not normally think of believers, Christians, as being offspring of Judaism. We think of Judaism as over there, and Christianity as over there, uh, but I think it's actually a pretty accurate way to put it that we're talking about uh, Christians here. Uh, We may not want to call them Christians, let's call them saints then, because you you get confused with the ages and the dispensations, all that stuff. I think we get stumble over trying to be doctrinally exactly right so so when i say if i say christian don't worry about that uh, i think i actually think it's right but uh, we may not normally think of christians as offspring of judaism but i think it's accurate because uh what do we do when we come to church we use both the new testament and we use the old testament we use the old testament which is the jewish bible as well as the new testament which is part of our bible but not the whole thing we see jesus and acknowledge jesus came out of israel we see jesus fulfilling old testament prophecy we see quotes and references to the old testament all through the new how many times and i didn't look it up how many times do we come across it is written or as it is written or the prophet said and we have sometimes direct quotations and sometimes just references or allusions but but each t- allusions not illusions <laughs> uh, each time we find the new testament depending upon the old uh, not only can followers of christ be called the offspring of judaism they can be called the necessary offspring of judaism uh, and by that i mean that that all of israel should have become what we are only they'd still be God's chosen people in both the, the heredi- hereditary sense as well as the faith sense. And what we have is two sets of God's chosen people. We have those who are God's chosen people by nature of being genetic children of, Israel, of, of, of Abraham. And we have those who are children of faith. And we have two sets of God's children. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. There should just be one. You know, there shouldn't be, here's the kids and here's the foster kids. There should just be one group. You know, we're all brought in together, and, and, and there isn't a difference between the two. What should, it should not make, our, us, make us scratch our heads to think that Christianity is the offspring of Israel. It, what should scratch our heads is to think that Israel isn't with us. Uh, that's the part that should be confusing. Uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus had a discussion with Nicodemus, and, and listen to what Jesus said when Nicodemus says, I don't get it. Right, John chapter 3, verse 10, 
Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus was, Nicodemus is saying, I don't get it. And Jesus is saying, How is it you don't get it? You're a teacher. You're supposed to get it. And, and, and what should make us scratch our heads is that they don't get it. What part of this is not so confusing? In Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus died and rose. Uh, he is, is the third day. Uh, two disciples have, or two followers, not two of the twelve, but two disciples have gone to this town of Emmaus, a Sabbath's journey walk away, and they run into this guy that they don't recognize, who just happens to be Jesus, and they're having the conversation, and in chapter 24, verses uh, 44 and 45, Jesus, who they don't know, says this. Then he said to them, I'm sorry, this is, this is speaking to, to, uh, to them as he's revealing himself to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He says, everything written about me in the prophets and Moses uh, needs to be fulfilled. This is supposed to, this is all written about me. You guys are masters in the use and the knowledge and the lore of the Old Testament. And it writes about me and you don't see me. And, and, and they didn't see him to the point that they, they crucified him. Uh, it's, it, what's the baffling thing is that Israel doesn't get it. And what happens is God has hardened their heart because of unbelief. Uh, but the woman is Israel. There's no question about that. The uh, believers of Jesus are her offspring. They're her necessary offspring. The offspring that must be there. Except this set of offspring are not protected from the dragon. Last week we saw how Israel is going to be taken into the wilderness, that they're going to be protected from the, the wrath of the dragon, and it is in that fury, that fury of being frustrated twice, that he then turns to unleash his wrath, his vengeance, his venom on the church, on Israel. Uh, it says, and then the dragon stood, right, still in verse 17, uh, back in Revelation, go back there. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 17, it says, uh, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea which sounds a little bit like a throwaway statement okay he stood on the sand of the sea that's interesting you know what am i going to do with that let me tell you if i was an artist and i was to paint this think about this He's on the sand of the sea. Which way is he facing? Is he on the sand of the sea facing the land as if he just came out of the sea? Or is he on the land facing the sea as he looks out at the sea? And I'll give you the answer. The answer is he is on the land looking out at the sea. And, and, and why do I say that? Uh, because uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, we, we, we were looking at the waters and what they represent in Revelation chapter 17. Right, verse 15, we have a statement about the waters. Right? Revelation 17, 15, we have a statement about the waters, and here's what he says. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the waters represent everybody else. 
the land. Where is the dragon? He, he came into Israel, right? The Antichrist declares himself, this is the halfway point of the tribulation. The Antichrist declares himself to be the Messiah. He sets up his throne on the, in the temple, on a wing of the temple. The land is Israel. The Antichrist has seated himself. Uh, the witnesses are testifying. The Israelites are being protected, and the sea is everybody else, and the dragon is there. He has landed in Israel. He is, he, that is where everything is happening. And he wants to destroy the people of Israel, and he is not allowed to, so he looks out everywhere else. And the sea is the peoples of the nations everywhere else. And he's on the sand of the sea. Now, I am no kind of an artist. Some of you have seen and can testify to that. Uh, my, my, my drawings are, I do okay with uh, Pictionary. As long as you see it happening, it might make sense. But afterwards, you look at it and you go, what was that again? Uh, uh, but if I was an artist and I was to draw this, this dragon would be on the sands looking out to the sea. But here's, here's what he's doing. Is he, is, he is crouched. The only thing I can think of is a, a cougar. Crouched before a flock of sheep. And all he's waiting for is to decide which one. And the thing is, is he's going to go and destroy a whole flock. He doesn't care about, but he's got to start somewhere. Do I start at the left, work to the right? Do I start at the middle, scatter them everywhere? What sounds like the most fun? You know, because to, to the cougar, this is fun. And this is what this dragon is doing in his fury. He is crouched. However, a dragon looks when it's crouched, ready to pounce. Um, I'm, I'm picturing cat-like because it works for my picture. Uh, he's cat-like, ready to pounce. And he's just looking because he's trying to decide where to pounce first upon the defenseless prey that, can't, that, that has no ability to run, no ability to hide, no ability to fight back. If I were an artist, that's what I would try to capture as I drew this picture. That he is on the sands of the sea is significant. It is, it is the idea that he is poised for the attack. It, it, I, I believe that is what is being said by that statement. It's, it's not a throwaway statement. It is a, a revealing statement of the situation that goes on here. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments. And so verse 11, we, we go backwards here to verse 11, and we have overcoming the dragon. And I want to start by defining winning and losing. We need to define our terms. Because, because if we don't define them correctly, what we find is the saints lose. The saints lose. Daniel chapter 7, right? Uh, I, like I said, we, we, we use the Old Testament. <laughs> Sometimes the Old Testament is very important to making the New Testament make sense. Daniel chapter 7 applies very much to this situation. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21, and then skip down to verse 24 and 25. Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had the eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than his companions. We'll come back and look at these in weeks to come, by the way. Uh, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Made war with the saints and prevailed. And everything in our mind and in our faith and our understanding of, of we are protected as God's people, how could the dragon possibly prevail over us? And so I'm going to skip down to verses 24 and 25. 
uh, as he's describing the fourth beast some more. As for the ten horns, out of his kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. So we see why I say this is at this midpoint of the tribulation, is, is it's very clearly he's given three and a half years. Uh, and, and so he is given three and a half years. This is at that midpoint of the tribulation. And he shall prevail over the saints, and they shall be given into his hands uh, for a time, times, and half a time. And we see the saints losing. Turn just ahead back to Revelation. We're in chapter 12. Let's skip one chapter up to Revelation 13, verses 7 and 8. Just in case you're not convinced Daniel is, is uh, applicable here. Revelation 13, 7 and 8, also it, the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given, over, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written in the foundation, before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. He shall make war with the saints authority, uh, on, on, and conquer them. He shall make war on the saints and conquer them. See, if we don't define our terms <laughs> rightly, the saints lose. And you go, okay, uh, it sure sounds like the saints lose. In Daniel, it says he prevails over them. In, in Revelation, it says he conquers them. The saints lose. How do, well, how do we overcome, or how do the believers overcome the dragon? Well, we win the contest by faithfulness, and the, we win the prize in heaven. <laughs> and that's how we define winning. We don't win by surviving. We win by overcoming. And there is a huge difference sometimes between the two. I mean, isn't it nice when we can both win and survive? <laughs> I mean, so far I have never won anything that cost me my life. I have won and survived. I like that. It's a nice thing. You know, it's not necessarily the guarantee of how things will always be. In fact, we have a guarantee in the future that it will be the opposite. In order to win, you must die. We win the contest by faithfulness and we win the prize in heaven. If we think winning means staying alive, then we will make staying alive the highest priority and we will lose the, the trophy, the reward we're supposed to have. I want to point out, so this is, this is actually kind of significant, some differences between the Israel and the Christians here. Because the Israel is off in the wilderness being protected, right? While the Christians are not protected and are facing the dragon. But you want to know something really fascinating here? First, the Jews live and the Christians die. You go, man, could, could I be a Jew? <laughs> the Jews live, the Christians die. Second, the Jews survive the dragon. The Christians overcome the dragon. Wow. Wait a minute, I want to read that again. <laughs> See, the Jews don't overcome the dragon. They merely survive the dragon. The Christians overcome the dragon. And of the two, overcoming is better than surviving. Now, don't look down on Israel. Don't look down on the Jews. I mean, let's, let's uh, again, Old Testament, Zechariah, second last book before Matthew, right? Zechariah chapter uh, 
12. We don't want to look down on Israel. I believe, before the story's done, all these Jews who are protected in the wilderness will be born again, entering the millennium as believers. Why do I believe that? Because uh, something happened in the book of Zechariah that, that I think is happening at this point in time. Zechariah chapter 12, uh, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 1. I have to give you a page number, but Lynn would give me a dirty look. Lynn Hernis, that is. <laughs> uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimmon in the land of Megiddo. Don't know anything about that. The land shall mourn, each family by itself. The family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by themselves, their wives for themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves. The family of the Shimeites by themselves, and their wives by themselves. The families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. What that's saying, by the way, is the mourning will be personal. This isn't going to be a corporate, we shall now meet and read the liturgy. Thank you. <laughs> the liturgy of sorrow, right? This isn't a corporate act of organized worship. This is a personal mourning. Each one, personally, to themselves, mourning as they see the one whom they have pierced. Uh, verse 13, on that day there shall be a fountain, chapter 13, verse 1, I mean, on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uh, uncleanness. And I think, I think it is talking about when Jesus comes, his second coming, and, and comes and, and lands the way, he, way they saw him depart, he will return. And when he comes and returns and Israel sees him, they will, it will hit them. Then they will know. And they will recognize what they have done. And doing that, they will turn to him in faith. But, but rapture time is over. I don't care where you put the rapture. <laughs> what point of rapture you believe? Rapture time is over here. And, and that's not part of the question. So these will be people who then enter into the millennial reign or the millennial kingdom with Christ. Uh, and so, so we don't want to look down on them and say, say, say something like they're second class or anything like that. It's not that kind of a thing. Uh, we don't want to say they're going to end badly, but at the same time, they don't overcome the dragon. They merely survive the dragon, the dragon being the devil, right? Uh, we, we <laughs> the believers at that time, will overcome him, right? They will have victory over him. They overcome the dragon. They do better than merely surviving. And they do it what? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Got to turn back to Revelation again. Yeah, I, I just want to repeat something. Uh, I've, I haven't said this phrase for a while. I want to come back to it. We, under, we can understand Revelation because we've read the book. Not meaning the book of Revelation, but the Bible. In order to make sense out of Revelation, we need this whole book. Okay? Uh, and that's what we're doing when we go back and look at these things. We're showing uh, what, not why we need it, but what we need from it. Why Revelation works so well. Uh, so back in, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, I want you to notice something. When it says that, at that point, the, the devil is not being called the dragon, but the accuser. 
the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him, the accuser that is, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Two things the saints win by, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb, Jesus defeats the devil. No shock there. Nobody here goes, wow, I didn't know that. We all take that. That's a given. Jesus defeats the devil. He is the dragon. It is the blood of the lamb that overcomes him. It is the blood of the lamb that is the sacrifice for our sins. It is the blood of the lamb, the Passover blood of the lamb that that protects us from the the, the one who would slay us. It is the blood of the lamb that that protects us and removes our sin. Uh, When we have no sin, the, the accuser cannot overcome us. He cannot overcome a sinless person because he can accuse and accuse and accuse and it doesn't matter. And and he may even kill us, but he won't defeat us. Uh, There is only one hero in the story, and the hero is Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So what does the word of the testimony do? Well, for one thing, it ensures their death. Why do martyrs die? Because they will not deny Christ. That is the word of their testimony. Why do missionaries get kicked out of countries? Why are missionaries getting kicked out of China? Because they will... And missionaries, by the way, today are getting kicked out of China. It's, it's, it's happening. Um, because they will not deny Christ. They can say, you know what? I really like China. I really like Chinese people. I won't talk about Christ anymore. Can I stay? And Chinese officials probably say, sure. I mean, they like American money. You know, they, they, they'll let you stay and spend money and... Do your teaching as long as you don't teach. That, that, that would be, but the, it's because they will not deny Christ. And, and, and it's not, we, we can, I, I still, in spite of everything I know, I think of martyrs as something from the past. <laughs> but they're not from the past, they're from the present. So, it says, so the first thing it does is, is it ensures their death. Verse 11 ends with the phrase, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Why did they die? Because they would not deny Christ. How could they have lived? By denying Christ. Uh, history is full of martyrs who, have died, not, uh, who would not have died. Not one of those martyrs would have been a martyr had they denied Christ. <laughs> it was so easy to not die for Christ. All I have to do is say no. I don't believe in him that much. History is full of it. And the future is too. Because another one of my sayings that I haven't said for a while, but I want to repeat, history is, a prophecy is history that hasn't happened yet. It's not maybe, it's not uh, one iffy thinking or things that somehow we'll be able to interpret it. It's simply history that that just hasn't happened yet, okay? Uh, History, future, is full of martyrs who could have died if they simply, who could have lived if they simply denied Christ. So it ensures their death but it ensures their victory. They, they conquered the accuser, the dragon, by the word of their testimony. And in spite of his appearance, in spite of his power, in spite of all the things he can do on earth, he cannot win as an accuser the one who... I mean, Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, takes away his one weapon that would overcome us in eternity. And the blood of Jesus Christ takes it away. Uh, because he has the power to accuse. He's right. Someday, uh, and, and maybe he's already doing it. I don't know how this all works out in heaven. We talk about him having access to the throne of God. We looked at that last week. And, and, and he points to me 
and he points to, to God and he says, that man, he reveals the most shameful, embarrassing, disgusting things that I never want to let you know I ever did. And he says, he did it. And I can't deny it. Because I did it. Right? He's right. <laughs> but something amazing happened. Because it was written down in this book. And some blood spilled on the book. And washed it clean. And there is no charge he can make that will stick. Because the blood of the lamb has washed it away. Yeah. He can accuse us and he has and he can use the truth to do it, but he is defeated by the word of our testimony. What is the word of my testimony? No, no, didn't do it. That's not my word that's not my testimony. If it is, I'm in deep trouble. My testimony is Jesus Christ paid for my sins. Yeah. That is the word of my testimony. Verse 11 just says the word of their testimony. Verse 17 says the testimony of Jesus. When we read that they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, it might sound like they're two equal things with equal billing. Two things. I got a left and a right. The blood of the Lamb, the word of his testimony. No, the word of, you know what? The blood of the Lamb. The testimony, it says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not this, it's this. <laughs> Saying that, the blood of the Lamb. The word of the testimony simply points to the blood of the Lamb. And hanging on to that, that's, that's what it says. It's all about Jesus. Talk is cheap. It's easy for me to stand here and talk about martyrdom. I've never been faced with it. Probably never will be. So if you wanted to take what I say and say, big deal, whoop-de-doo, doesn't mean anything. Tough talk. You know what? Here's, here's my answer. I can't prove that I would die a martyr until the opportunity comes, which chances are I won't face that opportunity. Possibly. I don't know. I can't prove that I would. Should I, for that reason not commit to, should the opportunity arise? Should I, because I can't prove it, be timid and back off and not take a stand? And, and I think that answers the question of why it is right for me to say this here. And if it, if it, even if it is just tough talk, uh, it's tough talk that is right and true. We all <laughs> need to be committed that should it come to it, we will die a martyr's death. We will win the victory by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And I believe that if it came to it, I could. And you want to know why? It has nothing to do with how tough I am. <laughs> but I believe God gives us the grace we need at the time we need it. And, and I believe that if we will do our part and commit to him, he will do his part and provide what we need to do it if we're walking in his will.
What will give them victory during the tribulation? The blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. What has given, that's what has given martyrs victory in the past. It's what will give martyrs victory in the future. And it's what gives us victory today. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We have an enemy called the dragon in Revelation. He hates us. He accuses us. We have one defense and one victory. Always cling fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I thank you that... Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you shed blood even for me. Because you know what I've done. The accuser isn't telling you anything that you don't know. But in spite of that, you love me and you paid the price for my sin and died on the cross. Lord, give me the courage, the grace, the spirit of God within my heart to live faithfully for you and to cling to that testimony. I ask and I pray in Jesus' name.